Oh, it's so good to be back home. Oh my gosh, it's so good to be back here at the Rockstar Ranch and Attack Room. Let me pull up my chair here in front of my refrigerator. You know, it's about time to plug that thing back in. Here in Ohio, we have a seasonal change. It's the change at which we can keep our soft drinks and our beers outside to keep them cold. Uh, but it's starting to be that time of the year we can't do that anymore. So let's bring them inside. Let's plug in the refrigerators. I'm going to do that ceremoniously right now. Let me go. Let me just plug it in. Get this bad boy running. Probably have to clean it out. There we go. The beep of the refrigerator. It is back online. Hello, good friend. There's still an old bottle of champagne down there. We have circus cookies and some medicine with two frosted mugs and a, ooh, man. A pack of M&Ms back there. I would have devoured those a long time ago, that's for sure. Well, we are just getting back from the Dale Hollow Paddle and Fin Eastport Marina tournament. And I have, I love that tournament even though it exhausts me to go through it. Um, it's just a very special place. The people at Eastport Marina are by far some of the kindest people. I mean, you really, that is the capital of Tennessee hospitality right there at the Eastport Marina. It might as well be the headquarters. Um, everybody, I mean, it's just, it's just a good time. It's a very uh, unique place to travel to. It takes about four and a half hours here from Cincinnati, so it's not that bad. However, if you're traveling into the last, uh, say, 100 miles or so, you are going to be uh, in need of paying attention to the GPS because you can end up on the wrong part of town. A lot of twists, a lot of turns, especially the last 25 or 30 miles headed into Eastport Marina. But boy, the, the pastures of the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, and right now they're just starting to turn that really pretty green. A lot of beef cattle down there, a lot of black Angus is being raised down through that part of Tennessee. It's not out of the ordinary to see bald eagles. I saw two bobcats this year. Um, in fact, in one day, I, I'd never seen a bobcat out in the nature. Seen one at the zoo, but I've never seen one in nature. You know, bobcats are not the type of animals that are just gonna prance in your front yard like a deer. Bobcats are very stealthy and wow, both of these cats were on the hunt. A lot of wild turkeys down there. I was. It was the first day of the tournament on Saturday, and I was leaving Eastport Marina, headed up the West Fork of the Obey River, and um, I just ha I didn't have a game plan. The first two days of pre-fishing did nothing for me. Uh, very little bites. I just told anybody that was asking what my game plan was. I'm just swinging for the fences, man. That's just all I'm gonna do. I always hope to put the limit up, at least the, um, 
the limit of five fish. I don't care if they're twelve inch fish. Uh, I want to put them on board um, for uh, the tournament, and then you know, theoretically, you just head into the the big girl range and start finding the bigger fish to put them on board. Uh, but that wasn't happening for me either. Day of pre-fishing produced very little, nothing. Um, the weather was cold as it usually is this time of the year down there, and you are in the holler, so the sun. It takes a moment for the sun to reach you, but once it does, within those uh, just cavernous uh, hilltops, rock uh, cliffs that they have, with just amazing 20, 30, 40 foot trees growing up out of them, straight up in the air, reaching for that sun. Once you get locked in there and the sun is baking on you from one o'clock to four o'clock, it can get pretty warm. A lot of wind, and so that didn't subside either one of the days, except on, I believe, the first day, Saturday. It was very, very calm, which was refreshing. As I'm heading up the west fork of the Obey River, on that first day of the tournament, enjoying the calmness, trying to get up there to a spot that uh, I did receive a couple bites on a a bubblegum, of all things, a bubblegum finesse um, uh, rig that I had going on and weightless, just giving it time to just sink down maybe two feet and sink down maybe about two feet and just give it a little twitch a little bit and it's it's really amazing lure action if you've ever tossed a earthworm or a nightcrawler into the water they'll they'll swim around a bit they'll try to give it all they got and that's exactly what this finesse technique looks like um and I, i i i enjoyed watching it and then all of a sudden that pink would just disappear and something would take it. I probably got 15 bites on that thing with no successful hookups. Uh, was the finesse uh, worm itself too long? Is that normal? Uh, or am I doing something wrong? And I had that hooked up on my spin casting, uh, toxic rod series spin casting rod from American Tackle with the 3000. Uh, AT spin casting reel on there, which just was flawless this weekend. It felt good. It was very sensitive. But I have to study up a little bit more on that finesse technique. In fact, that was the first time I had ever used something like that. And I know it's not a really good plan to try to invent something on the fly. Hopefully in your pre-fishing or your studies or maybe tournaments before then, you've kind of discovered what it takes to get the bite going down in that particular um, you know, body of water. And uh, last year, I was very successful with the sweet tater pie uh, shimmy stick from Strike King, just on a small quarter ounce bullet uh, weight, Texas rig style. And uh, it would just fall fast enough. Now, those fish are, the water temperature was, you know, starting out at around 52, 53 degrees. 
which isn't the warmest, but that is when you, I believe, you're going to start seeing those fish get really active. When it gets between 50 and 60, it's like party. Man, everybody's arriving into town. Spring break is just around the corner. Guys and gals are going to be hooking up next to each other. And boom, it's basically a one-night stand for these fish. They don't talk to each other ever again after the season. I would be interested, though. This would be a really neat study. If we can microchip the male and female bass in a particular area to see if they ever get back together again. That would be kind of neat. I bet we'd look at fishing a whole lot different (laughs) if they did something like that. We're like, oh my God. They do have feelings for each other as well. But, you know, everybody's arriving in town right now. The weather's warming up. Everybody's putting the suntan lotion on. It is gearing up. The drinks are coming out. People are flooding into town. They are eating the food. They're starting to figure out where the food is at. It's a really active time uh, for the fish between that 50 and 60 degrees, I think, anywhere you go. So here we are down at Dale Hollow. We do have a lot deeper um, uh, water to work with than I'm quite used to here at, at you know my Stonelick Lake and Cowan Lake and you know Grant Lake and some of the local areas that we have around here to fish. We just don't really get that deep of water. East Fork Lake has a a tremendously uh, deep section that uh, for it but uh, you know here we are all of a sudden rock cliffs that just go straight down into the water and you can have a visibility in a milky green it's really if you had a um, let's say a teal uh, it's almost like let's say green tea it's like adding creamer to green tea is what it looks like on the Obey River and throughout um, Dale Hollow. It has this milky, not sure what that is. is. Is it the clay? Is it the red dirt? What does that? Um, but it's there and it has a visibility of maybe about three feet and then it's gone. Two, three feet and you just don't see it anymore. So uh, I'm sure that's why the bubble gum was working really well. You know, who wouldn't want a piece of that? I mean, literally, it'd be like somebody shoving some big league chew in your face going, here, have some of this delicious stuff and the way that wacky rig works. So the bite was on with that, but I was not successful at all at bringing anything into the net. At that point, I broke out um, a shallow crankbait by Kevin Frazier and Hang Outdoors, which has always been a tremendous uh, tool for me, Uh, a number of his custom crankbaits I was lighting them up with the Aurora Fire Tiger American Tackle um, shallow crankbait check that out at American Tackle Angler Products I love shallow crankbaits I love it Uh, just fun staying active with the lure uh, dead sticking something and just sitting around waiting for that you know loose line to go nibble nibble or go tight and take off that's tough for me to do, but I know I have to learn those finesse te- techniques and uh, get much better at them. And as an Ohio fisherman, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I'm not really good at those. But hey, I'm new to this and I'm not afraid to admit it, that's for sure. 
But I loved throwing shallow crankbaits, and the Aurora Fire Tiger was working great for me. However, it did not work for me down in the area of Dale Hollow. I slung that thing all over the place. I probably, you know, hey, if you're willing to tie on a lure, then you should be willing to use that lure or learn that lure. And in the words of, epic words of Bill Dance, you know, in the great outdoors, um, I gave it all the chance it could have. Um, Down there, it was not working. At that moment, I tied on a Kevin Frazier hang outdoor, what is called a um, camo, um, a chartreuse camo uh, bleeder. And it's a white, it's got a beautiful chartreuse camo spot on it in a couple places. And then a bleeding spray that comes from the square bill itself out of the mouth and along the lateral line of the crankbait. That made the difference. I caught a few fish on that one. I, sad to say, I didn't catch a lot of them, and none of them were keepers, but I was getting a bite on that one down there. So I used it for a while, and you know, sometimes you get on a lure after a struggle. I mean, literally a struggle, not only for me, but for a lot of people down there. Some people were on them, a lot of people were not. And I was one of those people that just was not in the, you know, I can't say I wasn't in the, in the right place. There's fish everywhere in Dale Hollow. I'm convinced there is fish everywhere. But when you are in that right place, you have to have the right technique. You have to know what to do. Now, when I say fish, I don't mean that, you know, that big gals up on the banks sitting in about a, you know, two foot of water waiting to go to bed right now. She's probably with her girlfriends in the back. Girl, the ladies are a little bit later to show up to the party in spring break than the males. Males, you know what they got going on. There's one thing in their mind. And so they're heading up there to get everything ready. And and it is their job to go precede the... Uh, females to make those beds, you know, so the prettier the bed, uh, the better the big gal's going to be, you know, they choose the partner on a couple of things. One, the way that he, uh, it's, he tries to push her into that bed. It's a really fascinating transition and a little romance thing that they got going on and a flirtatious thing, you could say, where the male is actually pushing that female, trying to get her in there, doing a little dance for her every once in a while, you know, trying to get her around, and she'll just, yay or nay, dude, and she'll just swim on to look for another fellow with another uh, nest, and she'll pick. But uh, So the males get up there first, but there's fish everywhere. But daggone it, you have to have the right technique to get those fish to bite when you are in that place. Now, being said that uh, the females are most likely not up in that one foot, two foot area, guess what? There was a seven and a half pound bass caught by one of the kayak anglers uh, down there and it was in literally two, three foot of water. Boom. So, it it can happen and uh, anything can happen. You just have to be at the right time uh, in the right place with the right, the key is with the right, uh, you know, uh, drink to serve up at the bar. <laughs> we're going to talk more about Dale Hollow. When we come back, we're going to get a little shout out to the sponsors. I'll be back right after this.
John Graves Kayak Fishing sponsored by American Tackle Angler Products. For the first time, I went into the arena confident about the equipment that I had. Not just one or two rod and reel combos and then the rest of them junk. That's That's been my transition through this uh, um, wonderful sport of kayak bass fishing and learning about going after these bass using these different types of rod and reels and techniques and everything and for the first time going to Dale Hollow this year every single rod and reel I had on board which I had seven on board two spin casting rod and reels and then the rest were bait casting rod and reels I felt so confident with everything American Tackle Angler Products had totally set me up the equipment that's available from American Tackle is amazing. Lightweight, it's flawless in how it performed. If any mistakes happened with the equipment down there, like in uh, bird nesting, it was me doing one of those sidewinder low profile uh, uh, cast where it, the lure bounces off of the water and then all of a sudden it just goes to bird nest. That happened a couple times, but there was nothing that the equipment, and I'm talking about the AT3000 spin casting reel on the Toxic Rod Series spin casting rod, and then the American Tackle Pro Staff casting reel, which is pretty amazing. It's a composite. It's the LP8. It's so lightweight that my arms, for the first time, I was down there for four days of fishing, and you know when you're pre-fishing and you're going through the, uh, the challenges of a tournament, if that lure's not in the water, you're not going to catch a fish. I've never seen a fish jump out of the water into somebody's boat or kayak and to get a lure. The lure has to be in the water. That means you have to cast it into the water. And that means literally on a 10-hour pre-fishing day, back-to-back, you have casted a thousand times, two thousand times, four thousand times. I don't know. The number has to be astronomical. You're throwing a lure into the water every 15 seconds, every 20 seconds or so, every 30 seconds. Um, you're just grinding it, especially during the spring um, spawn, during the heat of the spawn, and in the summer, you're really cranking it. A little bit slower when you're trying to finesse it and you're working in some cooler temperatures. But without a doubt, if you've got some big old heavy rod and reel combo, you're just going to wear yourself out in no time. The action of the Toxic Rod series with the LP8 composite casting reel and the AT3000 spin casting reels, I felt I was in heaven. Every time I turned around, each one of those rod and reel combos, different sizes, whether it was a medium, whether it was a medium heavy or a heavy, whether it was and all of them with fast tips, uh, fast action. I, I, to me, I love a fast action. Let the rod do the work, and it the way that you can cast out of a kayak is amazing. Check them out at AmericanTackleAnglerProducts.com. You're not going to regret it.
All right, we are back. Had to make sure the pony's got some water. Life is good. You know, I suck at drinking water. I'm awful at it. I love my coffee. First day of the tournament, Saturday. I'll tell you, it's really nice to get a room in one of the houseboats. One in John Rapp style. One one of the funny, uh, one of the, a very giving human being, caring, West Virginia, state patrolman, retired, along with his buddy, John Gillespie, another West Virginia state patrolman, retired, um, boy, a cu- a two cut-ups right there from West Virginia. <laughs> that is the morrow of the bone right there when you're talking about coming out of the mountains or those two guys. So we had the John boat and it was nice to have it. Beautiful, beautiful boats that they have there at Eastport Marina. And you can rent these things out, you know, for a couple days or a whole week if you wanted to, probably a month, I guess, if you wanted to. And uh, you can navigate those things out or you can have Richard or somebody there at the marina captain that big barge out. I don't know if I would trust myself, actually. I mean, you can run into things. There's not a lot of stuff you can run into uh, there, but they do have rock walls. And, you know, I'd hate to plow one of these things into uh, um, something like that and do some damage. But uh, you can take these out to one of these mini coves and you can anchor these down and party, you know, like it's 1999 anytime you wanted to out there. So check those out. The houseboats are really neat. So you'd rent a room there, you know, and uh, it was like a youth hostel. Somebody's going to walk in with liquor. And uh, sure enough, John had this uh, moonshine, you know, ain't nothing like drinking Hawaiian punch in Everclear. Man, <laughs> that was a good time. But I was able to get back to the boat on the first day of the tournament. And uh, I said, I got to get a cup of coffee, man. But literally, I'm horrible at drinking water. And it's so important to hydrate yourself out there. Hydrate or die, enough said. The first day I was going up, and I wanted to tell you this uh, prior, but sometimes I get rambling on these podcast talking to myself I have a talent for doing that I wanted to mention this turkey I had never seen a turkey fly over water before I've seen a turkey fly out of a tree we have them here uh, at the ranch behind us we have 300 acres of nothing but woods so you see a lot of activity back there and you'll see one of them just like falling it's like a I guess a graceful crash, I guess you would say, um, um, into whatever they lay. They don't, they're not, they're not like owls, man. You know, (laughs) they just come crashing down. Sounds like a small plane sometimes. And I was making my way up the West Obey River on that first day of the tournament. And the water was so calm and you could just hear the eagles you look up and you just see two pairing bald eagles way up in the sky and you could just hear them shrieking. And uh, I hear this 
thump, and you're like, what in the world is that? And I turn around, and here comes this big gobbler. He probably had a beard on him that was a foot long. I mean, it was huge because you could just see it draping as he was trying to gain altitude over the water. And uh, they can't really change course of direction once they get going. And by golly, he chose the perfect time, right? We met at the crossroad and he just flew about four foot right over the top of my kayak. And you could, I mean, I could see this bird's belly button. It was that close, just boom, and just huge. He had a wingspan on him. It looked like it was six, seven feet. It was a massive bird and big old gut, and he hit that cliff, and he stopped. I mean, it was like a B-52 crashing in World War II. Just That was really neat. And then you hear the hens. The hens are still over on the other side of the water and uh, they're a little bit more graceful saw a couple of them fly over the river uh, back um, toward the the big tom and uh you know why i don't know is there something about the other side you know is the grass always greener on the other side there of the river you'd think that they would just fall out of the tree where they were at but uh that was really neat to see that I was amazed. So my first and second day didn't go really well at all. Um, Not legally, I should say. I want to give a big shout out to Susie Roloff. I think that's how you pronounce Susie's last name. I call her Susie Q. Kind of rolls off with the Susie. Uh, She's very sweet, uh, very um, competitive. Um, and this is just what I know about Susie. That's not like I've hung out and traded, you know, Everclear shots with Susie, you know, and sat in a hot tub. Uh, we, you know, it's not like we, you know, really know each other. But from what I know of her, uh, she's solid as a rock. She's a great judge to have. And she will disqualify you in a heartbeat um, for any infractions of the rules. And uh, she got a chance to do that. Uh, with me. I always, I'm the one that tests Susie every year. (laughs) And here's why. Here's what happened. It was a slow bite. It had just been a horribly slow bite. The first day I had already had two on board. So I was sitting pretty good. It was like 13th place, roughly around there that I was sitting, which isn't bad. You're close to the top 10, you're close to some money, you're close to something. And it just looks good. When you make the top 10 on any tournament, you start looking at tournament standings, at least that top 10 looks really good, if that's important to you. Um, you know, at some time, we probably should all put a, a uh, like a resume of our performances together and have that and where we've done that. You'd probably be surprised of how much fishing that you actually do if you've been engaged in it for a while. Um, You know, at one time, if you can remember the first time that you ever submitted anything to Tourney X, and now after a number of years, you look on there and you've submitted thousands of inches of fish, and you're like, wow, you know. Um, But I was excited with the the, uh, 13th place. It was right at around... Um, 
probably 245. Okay, now lines out at 230. But here's Johnny out there thinking that he was in some type of Cincinnati kayak fishing tournament and the lines are not out until three. Right? It was just, it seemed, 2.30 comes really fast. And, uh, man, I'm working this rock, and all of a sudden I get a bite, and it comes on, and it's a nice one. It's a 13-inch fish, basically. And I'm like, wow, I'll take it. I put it up, uh, took a picture of it, threw that thing in the water real quick, didn't even double-check the picture, because I knew 3 o'clock was coming up really soon. Hooked another one. Boom. Oh my gosh, here we go. And I was using, at that time, a Kevin Frazier Hang Outdoors. I was using the camo uh, shallow crankbait. And I was just bouncing it right at the edge of this rock. Because that rock went down to, immediately, it was just like 6 feet, 7 feet, 8 feet, 9 feet, 10 feet, 11 feet. And it was just straight down. And I was just bouncing them off whatever rocks was right there. And apparently these fish were just staging up a little bit more shallow and ambushing stuff. And I put another one. It was a 14 plus inch fish. And I'm like, oh my God. And I take a picture of that real quick and I submit it. And then all of a sudden I get this real clammy feeling. Like it just stops everything. There's no sound. It gets calm. You know, the guy across the river's mid-cast and he just freezes mid-cast. That lure still suspended up in the air. It's that moment. And I think, wait a minute, was this an early lines out? I better check that again. Now this moment should show the significance of reading the rules or at least paying attention to the captain's meeting. The problem that I had is that I'm sitting at an eight top with nine people and and four of them are big men. It was busy. We were all glad to see each other, happy to hang out. And they're up there explaining the rules. And sometimes those rules can be missed. So I took it for granted that it was the three o'clock lines out, wasn't paying attention. And sure enough, I submitted the fish anyway, just in case. Well, sure enough, before I got back to the captain's meeting, I did call up Brian Schiller of Paddle and Finn Podcast. You know, folks, I can, you can sit down with a glass of wine and we can hang out at night and, and I can tell you all about all the mistakes that I've made because literally I'm the one that, you know, it's like playing jazz. You're not going to get better unless you play with better jazz players. Fishing's the same way. You're not going to become a better fisherman unless you get around better fishermen and you compete or at least hang out and fish and talk with better fishermen. I've got the cojones to do that. So, and I don't mind making mistakes. However, that's what you kind of learn here on John Graves Kayak Fishing is kind of what not to do. If you want to learn something about fishing, listen to Paddle and Finn podcast. Jay and Brian and the rest of the gang up there, uh, Jimmy, uh, Susie, they're all related to this podcast. It's a wealth of information. John Rapp has 
a really cool podcast called The Rusty Hook. Um, he's got, uh, I think they're going to come up with another one called um, Drinks and Dinks. <laughs> so it's really fun, uh, entertaining, and all of them are great anglers. So um, I called up Brian and I said, hey, Brian, I think I made a mistake. Or I texted Brian and I said, hey, shout out. I think I may have submitted a couple fish late. I'm not sure. I'm on my way back. I think I did. Blah, blah, blah. I made a mistake. There's no thinking about it. I actually did. Well, sure enough, I got the DQ from Tourney X, you know, late submission. And I get back to the... Uh, uh, captain's meeting and Susie's there behind the computer and I had already Susie already had enough of me she'll give you one chance I think you know but if you do it again she's the type that'll call you out on it I'm sure this is how much I know of Susie I was explaining we had never had ever clear in a hot tub before we don't know each other that way but um, uh, we know each other from talking and you know hanging out and looking and watching each other perform, I guess. That's probably what I know of Susie. And I I love Susie. I think she's really cool. Uh, she's the one I do want to hang out in a hot tub and drink Everclear with. Um, but I have a feeling that she's only going to give you one chance. I did not pre-register. Um, I thought I did. And... She, thank you, Susie. She had the patience for me to sit there and pre-register, which is a kind of a lengthy fill out, you know, and use her computer to do it. You know, she just sitting there. She's she'll sit there and like roll her thumbs, like look side to side, maybe go, kind of tap her the pin a little bit, you know. She's like the county clerk at that point, you know, just sitting there looking at you, going, "You dumbass! You should have done this already." <laughs> Thank you, Susie. Big shout out. And she does a lot of work for them too. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of work goes into these tournaments. You know, it's not just fun and games for everybody. You know, and tournament judges and people that throw these tournaments on—they don't get to fish these things like we do. You know, they don't get to fully just kick back, relax, and fish and have a good time. There's a lot of hustle. So I, I told Brian about my, uh, you know, my late submission. And Susie looked at me and she goes, yeah, those were too late. She goes, one was at 255 and the other one was at 301. <laughs> I'm like, man, that was the longest five minutes of my life. You kidding? I thought they, I didn't realize they were just back to back like that when it happened. But anyway, yeah, don't, late submission, you're not gonna, nothing's gonna be added to the tournament boards. not gonna bring you up in the standings because you had a late submission. So uh, important thing there, listen to the captain's meeting rules. <laughs> Welcome back to John Graves Kayak Fishing here on Anchor FM. And wherever you do listen to your podcast, I think you can download it on just about anything that's out there. So give it a try. John Graves Kayak Fishing, uh, where you uh, necessarily don't learn what to do, but what not to do when it comes to kayak competitive bass fishing. If you want to really pay attention, again, Paddle and Finn, Kayak Fishing Podcast. They've been around since 2018. There is a wealth of information that comes out of this podcast. And they have a lot of different podcasts as well that's based around that. The Noobs, uh, Feather and Fur 
if you're into hunting and obviously and uh, chasing the tide podcast, uh, the rusty hook, uh, they've got a lot of different types and flavors of podcasts that surround fishing and general great outdoors. Uh, big shout out to the sponsors of this Dale Hollow tournament, of course, to Eastport Marina and Resort. Those folks are absolutely wonderful. You're guaranteed just a time where you travel on vacation or holiday, depending on what country you're from. Let's go on a holiday. It's a great place to do it right down there at Dale Hollow. You get one of those boats and you and your family or your friends or just yourself. Man, if I had the cash to lay down, I'd think about getting a boat just to myself. And traveling out in the middle of one of those coves and just anchoring down. And by golly, you are going to be left with a just nothing but a joyous time of relaxation. And the Wi-Fi doesn't even really work down there in some spots. So nobody's going to call you. You can't get word out. It's just how it used to be. Amazing. in Dale Hollow. Tennessee. I love it. Eastport Marina and Resort. So check it out next time you want to really get away from everything. Uh, Douglas, great sponsor of Paddle and Finn and of the tournament itself. Thank you so much, Douglas. Yak Gadget, Tourney X, Pelican, and Torquedo. And of course, Biono Power. Thank you so much for all the sponsors down there and the giveaways and stuff that you do. I know uh, when it comes to... Uh, promoting tournaments and having the opportunity to uh, look and uh, look like a real show, to have the things to put out, uh, to make it a big deal, uh, the raffles and just what it looks like overall, the package as an experience uh, from, the from a kayak angler and not a promoter, but from me as someone who is a person that's buying this product, um, Hobie Bass Open Series, you feel like a rock star when you show up at one of these places and the way that AJ puts them out and the show is up. And I'm into that. Paddle and Finn down at Eastport Marina. This is why this is without a doubt one of those tournaments that really lines up with the big show and I would say those like the Hook Bass Masters and the Hobie Bass Open Series or one of the big KBF trail events, you really feel like you're part of something. And uh, the Paddle and Fin is just a great place to show up with 50 or 60 other anglers of like minds who don't mind driving out into the middle of the holler, uh, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains and chasing fish. Uh, Chilly in the morning and uh, <laughs> chilly in the evening. I love it. It was just nothing but a good time, that's for sure. So let's go down the list, shall we, of the anglers. Um, first and foremost, I, well, let me see. Let's start at the, uh, let's start. To, I don't even know what place I'm in. So this first time I'm looking at Tourney X. I know I'm, I know I'm not last. I don't think. Okay. Um, and when I, last is not a good way to put it. 
It's kind of horrible, kind of taints it, doesn't it, when you say last. Because there's a lot of people that goose-egged it and wasn't able to catch fish down there. And my condolences, that, that hurts. It really, it's hard when you put so much in preparation. It's the first big tournament for a lot of us. You travel, you spend some money. I spent maybe 250 bucks total on this whole tournament with gas and the lodging and the food. Still getting off relatively cheap. Shoot, prior to that, probably another couple hundred bucks in equipment and lures and line. And I mean, people spend a lot more than that. And to go to a place like this and not to be able to produce a fish for submission. You still catch fish and there's a... 10,000 11-inch bass down there that are willing to eat your lure up. But there is, you grab that, after a while you just look at him and go, I know you're not a 12. I, I'm at that point right now where I can look at the guy when he's coming up and going, you ain't no 12. I can't even pinch that little thing. You know, I can't give you the hamburger patty or I can't even give you like a little pinch on the tail to even get you to 12. Sorry, buddy. Go back, you know. Um, so, but I feel bad. That hurts. And it's happened to me. And I know what it feels like. So, to say last is not a word that even should be considered in kayak bass fishing. So, just now thinking about that, I am forever going to say, I will never say who's in last in a kayak bass fishing tournament. Because there is a lot of, there are 43 anglers total, and uh, a number of them, a few of them, goose-egged it. Um, however, the rest of us were able to pick up a fish, at least one, to submit it. And Philip Hall was able to struggle it out. Philip Hall could have caught those 10,011 11-inch bass but unfortunately, that one, and fortunately, was able to get up onto Tourney X. And uh, Joe Burchette, here is where a half inch can make a difference. Joe Burchette, uh, <laughs> you know, 12 and a half inches. Trey Johnson from Tennessee, 14 inch fish. Grant Blackford from here in Ohio, 14.25 fish. Every one of these guys are probably saying, why are you even mentioning that? But <laughs> here's what I would say to you guys. Whether you are a, a very experienced angler and you just got your nuts kicked in in Dale Hollow or you're somebody new to tournament fishing, and you're just getting into the sport. Whoever you are, either one of those anglers, you had the cojones to do it and to get out there and do it. And I bet you everybody learned something. I, I know I took in so much. I learned a lot at Dale Hollow. So for that reason is why I'm mentioning your names because... 
man, I want to get to know everybody. Um, I knew a few people, met Jeff Parrott for the first time, great guy of the Parrott Brothers. Music, me and him could have sat around and talked Buck Owens and, you know, old school country for a long time. Jeff plays bass for the Parrott Brothers, but it was good to see Jeff. And uh, more about that in a minute. But I, I want to meet as many people as I possibly can. None of us really have the time to go around and meet everybody. So by saying your names, it sort of like locks into my head a little bit. Uh, but Grant Blackford from Ohio, 14.25 inch. Here's, here's a quarter inch. Boop. Got you by a quarter inch. And that's Will McKinnis from Tennessee, 14.75 inch fish. We're in Dale Hollow. And all of us are struggling for fish in Dale Hollow. It was a tough one. Jeff Thompson uh, from Wisconsin, 15.25. Maverick Blair from Tennessee, 15.25. Shane Lamont from California, 15.25. Shane, did you, did you get the travel the longest, the farthest award? I hope you did. Good Lord. Brandon Strock from Tennessee, 15 and a half inch fish. Kristen Lamont, 16 inch fish. Will Abbott from Illinois, 17 and a half inch. Brandon Farley, 15 and a half inch fish right there. That's a, a two fish submission right there, a 13.25 and 12.25. I'm telling you, just those. Lengths of fish can mean a big difference. 25th place, Brandon Honaker of West Virginia, 26.75 inches of fish. And there I am, 28 inches of fish, 24th place. I had uh, two days. I had a spotted bass, 14 and a quarter, and uh, a 13.75 inch submission. Danny Arsenal, 29 inches. David Craig, 32 inches. Drew Near, 33 inches. Jake Apking, 33.25 inches. Matt Davis from Ohio, 33 and a half inches. Jesse England from Tennessee, 44 inches. David Klosterman from Tennessee, 52 inches of fish. Adam Reiser from Tennessee, 55.25 inches of fish. Ben Baker from Tennessee, 67 and a half inches of fish. Now we're starting to get somewhere. Andrew Carpenter, 69.25. Jeffrey Parrott, 13th place, 72.25 inches of fish. And there's our hometown proud. Chris Houck, Army Intelligence, 80 and a half inches of fish with an 18.25 largie. That was his biggest fish submission right there. Nice big bass. I always like looking on the... Um, in the pictures to see if they're showing or exposing any lure that they're using to catch those fish. Oh, I'll do that. Chris Houck of Army Intelligence clears the palate. If you look at his pictures, there is nothing of evidence right there. I'm looking at that 18.25 right now. Chris, good job. Hometown proud. Go Buckeyes. John Gillespie. <laughs> one of my uh one of my uh mates on the John boat there at Eastport Marina John Gillespie is West Virginia retired P 
patrolman. 82 inches of fish. Good job, John. Even though he let me steal that rock uh, cliff there from him. That was his spot. I stole it. Uh, Garrett Johnson from Tennessee, 82.25 inches of fish. J.W. England from Tennessee, 83.75 inches of fish. Roy Frog, 98 and a half inches of fish. And breaking the century mark. John, good job. John also won the Sportsman of the Year Award. John is a absolutely an amazing representative of uh, everything kayak fishing and just a damn good guy. In fact, I got one of John's long sleeve shirts on right now. And if I can take a picture of it. Right here. Where's it at? I gotta take a couple things up there. Oh my god. Oh, there it is. There it is. Ah, they got it. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. You guys can't see pictures or video. <laughs> I forgot. That's the Rocky, Rusty Hook podcast. John Rapp, he puts that on. And uh, I'm looking forward to that first episode of Drinks and Dinks. 109 and a half inches of fish. John, you know, pretty damn good, buddy. He had submitted... Um, let me see if we can open that up. Uh, there we go. The first day... Uh, he had submitted, uh, one, two, three, four fish and man, that puts you in there. And then on that second day, he also rebounded with another four fish to be able to submit. And that right there put him in seventh place. Good job. Coming in at six, Robert Knoll from Tennessee, 120 inches of fish. Good job with a 20 inch. Uh, I think that was the 20 inch smallmouth that he had there. I'm going to look at that right now. Beautiful. Wow, that was a fat one. Look at the bronze color on that. He's got that tail held up right at that 20-inch mark. Good job. And there is absolutely no evidence what he caught that thing on. None. Boy, that is a fatty right there. Good job, Robert. And, of course, he won big bass on that, too. And that was like a $100 check. You know, you can't beat that. Brian Slayton from Ohio, 127 and a half inches. A fish, Greg Kumpfner from West Virginia, 136 inches and 136 and a half inches of fish. Jonathan Abshire, 137 inches of fish. He's in third. Coming in at second, Brian Coyne from Wisconsin, 147 and a half inches of fish. And number one, this is why, if there's going to be a number one, this is kind of why there has to be like a last place. But again, I won't say that. Number one, man, Trent England from Tennessee, 151 and a quarter inches of fish. Amazing. Good job, Trent. You were on them somewhere. What were you using? I'm going to go through all your pictures and look for evidence of how you did that. So good job, everybody, at the Dale Hollow Eastport Marina tournament sponsored by paddle and finn god bless every one of you guys man the mounds of like beef and chicken nachos that we were chowing on right that stuff was good that was put out by the eastport marina up there at the farm if you have a venue uh, or if you're looking for a venue and you have a banquet you have a reunion you have a wedding you have anything you want to celebrate and you want to get out into the middle of nowhere in God's country, and you have a 360-degree 
just view of the foothills and rolling just pastures and grazing lands of Tennessee. It is an absolutely beautiful place. I'm talking about the Farm Event Center there. And all you have to do is get a hold of Eastport Marina and Dale Hollow. Just Google it. You know, you'll see the number. You'll see the contact. East Eastport Marina. That's all you have to remember. I had such a good time. I always have a good time there. Uh, I'm going to get a teepee back to Richard at Eastport Marina. I have an 18-foot Sioux-style teepee. And I'm looking forward to getting that down to him because he has big plans for it. And hopefully we can get that set up on the uh, West Fork of the Obey River. And uh, we can do some type of uh, maybe smallmouth ad- adventure where you're portaged uh, miles up into the West Fork and you just come downstream and into the bigger part of the river there into the Dale Hollow. And uh, before you reach Eastport Marina, maybe you can uh, climb up into the uh, flatland up there close to one of them cliffs and we can have a teepee buried back in there and you can spend the night. I think that would be pretty cool. Glamping is coming to Eastport Marina in Dale Hollow. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody down there. I loved it. It was, a, again, just a beautiful time. I can't wait till next year. I'm going to be even better prepared and uh, mentally ready. I'm not sure if I'll do two days of pre-fishing. Well, there goes my coffee. Two days of pre-fishing didn't do really anything for me. And and so if I get down there and get to pre-fish one day, have a general idea where I'd like to go, and then just, again, go for it on the first and second day, I think you'd have just a well of a chance as anybody down there. Because even the people that spent a few days down there was not able to really produce anything for the tournament. But it's a tough tournament. That's what I like about it. Every one of you anglers had the cojones to get up on stage with better musicians and therefore you became a better kayak bass angler yourself. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to John Graves Kayak Fishing here on Anchor FM. Where in the hell does bass thumb come from? How does that even happen? I get the most painful bass thumb, and it is a severe cracking. It is not just a mild cracking. I get a severe cracking in my thumb, and it hurts. When wind hits it, it hurts. At night, it'll jar me up from a dead sleep hurt if I touch anything the wrong way. And I absolutely don't know what to do for it. I've tried a lot of different types of ointments you put on there. I mean, everything. Uh, And I guess it's just a matter of always doing it. But man, after a few days of fishing and pre-fishing, my hands are a mess. What is that? If somebody out there has the answer, I'm going to look it up. If somebody has the answer right now, please send me a note. What is it about? Is it the saliva of the bass? Is it a real thing? Is bass thumb a real thing? I mean, does this actually come from fishing and putting your thumb down in a bass mouth? Do those little 
teeth that they have have some type of like saliva or something that breaks things down like a chemical and this is what it's doing to your skin it's rotting your skin right is that what happens i'm telling you what that hurts what has helped me is what's called bag balm and bag balm is something you can get at tractor supply in your rural farm store um those that know know it's a green little tin called bag balm it looks a lot like grease like uh any type of like bearing grease basically and man you put that stuff with lanolin you put that on your chapped hands i'll put that on my thumb and then i will take a very cheap pair of rubber gloves like uh just surgical gloves basically and i'll cut the thumb off that's why i get the cheap ones and i'll just place that thing over my thumb just like a little prophylactic and instant relief but i'll tell you what man if anybody's got the answer something better please 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 do a guy a favor thumb is killing me Boo-doo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo.